Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. July is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, um, a month that I think is really important. I actually didn't know that this was a thing that that was marked, and it's important. Um, so today's episode is all about a topic that I feel very personally connected to as a woman of color, um, black black folks and mental health. Um, most people maybe don't know this. Uh, mental health and black communities can be a bit of a taboo topic. So today we're going to be talking about some of the reasons around why that is, um, some of the historical research and data around black communities and mental health, and some resources and ways that folks are, are trying to make things better. Awesome. And if you are coming to this episode as someone who is in need of a little bit of mental health support, um, or you've been sort of reticent to explore your options, this is a really important one to pay attention to because we're going to make sure that you leave today's episode not only hopefully feeling as much freedom as possible around being able to pursue the kind of support you might need, but also just having some tactical, practical resources for you to get you know, get heard and, and, and take care of yourself. This is part of that whole hashtag self-care thing <laughs> that I'm, I'm all about. It's, you know, it definitely, you just rolled your eyes, babe. <laughs> it definitely warrants a little bit of that. I wish they could see this, but, um. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I think self-care is important. I think it's gotten, a, I think we've gotten a little, like not everything. Not everything is self-care. Right. Maybe manis and petties aren't the full extent of how women should be taking care of themselves. I say as someone who got a mani-pedi within the last 24 hours. But um, this is is what real self-care is about. I think when we simplify it down to something superficial, um, then it's totally warranting of those eye rolls. But this is, I mean, sometimes self-care is not glamorous at all. And I would put this in that category as super important, even if it's not sexy. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly how I feel about this issue. Um, for me, self-care around mental health looks like talking about it, being honest about it, being open about it, um, seeking professional help if you need it, seeking medication if you need it, making lifestyle changes if you need it. And that's not always as glam as a mani-pedi, but it's also really important. Um, and so I think... One of the ways that I think makes the most sense to sort of start this conversation is really just sort of level setting with where we're at. And one thing that people should really know is that black black folks and mental health has been kind of a, a thorny topic because it's so taboo. And so I think that talking about mental health challenges can be taboo and stigmatized for all people, regardless of race. But with with black folks, we don't talk about it, right? I grew up with this adage, you know, black folks don't go to therapy, we go to church. And so that's, I've heard that many, many times. And so it's just interesting how um, it's a struggle, I think, for anyone to talk about mental health issues, but it's a particular struggle for communities of color, particularly black communities. There's something very white about this idea of having a therapist on speed dial. I'm thinking like Lena Dunham-esque and uh, what is that show? Uh, Not Curb Your Enthusiasm, but with all the super wealthy, funny family members who, God, hold on. What is that? Is it Frasier? No. Okay. Oh my God. That's perfect though. Frasier is a that's therapist. That's what I was thinking. I, I associate oh therapy with Frasier. Yes. That's a perfect example. But she, you know what the show I'm thinking of is Arrested Development. 
Such so, a good one. Right. So it's funny. But you, I almost think of like that older woman, the matriarch of the family, Lucille. holding her. Yeah, holding her martini glass. You can tell I'm not a, like I have never really been super into that show, but she's the kind of woman I think of when I think of, oh, I have my therapist on speed. Well, dial. if you watched that show, you would know that Dr. Funke is actually a therapist on that show. Oh my God, really? <laughs> Tobias. Yeah. Oh. So there's a character on the show that is a therapist. That's funny. Um, and he's one of those kind of like, just like what you were saying, sort of granola e hippy dippy very white there like so yeah. i completely see how therapy you know has sort of been whitewashed in this way that when you think of therapy you think of folks like fraser, fraser or yeah. tobias funke from arrested <laughs> development like a real um a real almost like a caricature of what therapy looks like right it's very white it's very wealthy those two so when you layer on race and class here it's no wonder to me that there's such stigma around uh therapy for folks in the black community, especially. And that's one of the things that that folks, black folks who do go to therapy, one of the challenges that a lot of them um, have reported is that when, you know, when you're, if you're, if, if the mental health um, industry, is that the right? Sure. Yeah. The mental health industry is very white. Black women can feel, and, and but people of, like, people of color in general can feel a bit isolated because your therapist might not you know, be able to really truly grapple with or understand the issue that you're talking about. So right. if you're talking about some heavy thing related to culture or race or being an, an immigrant or something like that, your your super white therapist might not always exactly um, know how, exactly what you're going through. Right. And that ability to empathize is so critically important. I think some therapists might push back on that and say, listen, I don't need to be my clientele right. to, to help my clientele. But at the same time, representation matters, period, full stop. So being having options as a individual and, and seeking out therapists who look like you, who feel like you, who can understand and empathize with you from a cultural perspective, I'm sure that can lower the barrier for entry. You know what I mean? Make it more comfortable and relatable to pursue support that you know is going to be there and, and be able to truly understand where you're coming from. Yes, that's so funny because my personal therapist, uh, shout out to Shelly, um, <laughs> I, I doubt she's listening, but... <laughs> When I found her, I specifically found her online and she, I was looking at her credentials of where she went to school and I saw that she got her um, degree from Howard University here in DC. And so I thought, oh, this is a black woman. I was so confident. I was like, this is a, this therapist is a black woman. I get there. She's very, very not a black woman, but she's amazing. So exactly. I don't, I don't want to say that only a therapist, Uh... only a black woman therapist could understand my black woman issues, but. I definitely thought that going in. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, you're not a black woman. Yeah. Wow. That's funny to hear like prejudicial assumptions on both ends of the spectrum there. But that warrants a further conversation on historically black colleges and universities. It does. It It does. I wonder if someone will do a podcast Hmm, about that. Maybe. Hmm. So again, I think, you know, just to sort of level set on where the black community is with mental health and sort of the, the, history of it. So one of the reasons, in addition to the things that we were just talking about, one of the reasons why there are so many taboos in Black communities might stem from slavery. According to Ebony Magazine, historically African Americans have normalized our own suffering. During slavery, mental illness often resulted in more inhumane lifestyles, including frequent beatings and abuse, which forced many slaves to hide their issues. Over time, strength became equated with survival, and weakness, including mental illness, meant you might not survive. And I know that in in my family and in my communities, I've seen I've seen this. I know exactly what it looks like. People feeling the need to sort of do it all with a brave face and never never let them see you sweat. And so, if you're really having an issue, feeling like there is a strength 
in not talking about it. There was a strength in not speaking up about it. And Mm -hmm. I can see how historically that maybe could have been a strength and a a kind of way to cope. But now I don't feel like it's doing us any favors. Right. That's so fascinating to bring up, Bridget, because I actually recently stumbled across new research, not terribly new, but this, this study actually came out in 2015, showing that there is the potential for trauma to be internalized and imprinted on DNA and potentially passed on to future generations. Wow. So, I mean, you're really talking very literally about institutional and historical and systemic oppression being, in some ways, a very sad birthright or sort of passed on from one generation to the next. In this particular study, uh, they were examining the DNA of Holocaust survivors and their, their family lineage. And what they found... This, they found this sort of pattern implying that children of individuals who experience profound stress in life may be more likely to develop stress or anxiety disorders themselves. This pattern, known as epigenetic change because it affects the chemical marker for the gene rather than the gene itself, suggests that profound stress in the older generation translated into an adaptation that passed on to the next generation. Wow. Isn't that insane? I mean, I have no trouble believing that. I mean, I, I feel like anecdotally I have seen that. I see that play out. Um, I, I've seen that play out, I feel like, and I it doesn't surprise me. For sure. And so talk about profound stress. Talk about continual oppression. You know, of course, there's going to be profound stress there, whether we're talking about institutions that have had as long a legacy as slavery in the United States or internment camps for Japanese Americans or something like the Holocaust. Right. Of course, these things are passed down um, because of how significant they are. And I wonder if that also could be translated into the cycle of poverty mm-hmm. and just how, gen- not genetic, but just how... Um, systemic. Yeah, systemic and, and continuous that can be. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a whole other episode, but issues of inequality and issues issues of that nature are so systemic. They're so widespread. And so when people say things, and this is a, a terrible thing to say, but when people say things like, um, oh, Black people haven't there hasn't been slavery in America for yada yada years. Get right. it together. Seriously. People don't understand the way that these legacies of oppression get passed down and are really, according to the study, can really be like in our bones. Mm. Um, and it, it's it's fascinating, but it's very sad. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, I feel like there is really a mental health crisis in Black communities. Um, it's really a problem that that there's such a stigma and that folks aren't really talking about it. Um, Black Americans are more likely than their white counterparts to experience mental health issues. In fact, according to the Health and Human Sciences Office of Minority Health, Black Black Americans are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems than the general population. And so we're struggling, but we're also struggling in silence. Mm. Um, We're much less likely to seek help. Um, Young adult African Americans, especially those with higher levels of education, are less likely to seek mental health services than their white counterparts, according to a study by the American Psychological Association. thought that like this was a generational trend in which young people were starting to seek out help more openly. You would think. Right. Yeah. That says the opposite. Yeah, you would think that. And I'm 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 curious as to why that might be. Um I think that as a as a young black American <laughs> who, you know, has a college degree, um I, I think it I just yeah, I don't I don't know what the explanation is. I mean, is. do you think it's financial? Because my 20s, my budget was kind of a hot mess, personally. Maybe. I, I wonder if it's financial or just that 
the idea of navigating how you go about getting services can be overwhelming. And it's one of those things that I can imagine if there's already a stigma, if you already feel weird about it, like challenging yourself to get the help and doing so logistically, like finding a doctor, getting the insurance information together, all of that Mm. might be overwhelming to the point where it's, you know, you might think, just forget it. Hashtag adulting. (laughs) I'm like just starting to get on board with adulting. Adulting is rough. It is rough. This definitely falls into that category. Yes. Like, oh, you mean my mom's not going to force me to make a dentist appointment in my life anymore? Or my my dad's not going to schedule that checkup for me? Like, get it together, Emily. (laughs) I would not, if it wasn't for my mom, shout out to my mom, friend of the show, I would never go to the dentist. Right. So something else that I found really troubling is that as bad as it is in black communities, surprise, it's even worse for black women. And we're going to get into a little bit about why that is after this quick break. And we're back. And we were just talking about black communities and mental health. Um, Again, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I... Um, I'm someone, I mean, therapy changed my life. I spent a lot of time growing up feeling unhappy and out of place and anxious and sort of stressed out and, you know, a lot of the ways that teenagers feel, but feeling that that in a really existential way. Mm. And it wasn't until going to therapy and learning how to talk about my behavior and my issues and understand them, that has been a tremendous help in my life. I don't know where I would be if I hadn't gone to therapy and it was hard it was it is hard because uh, we i grew up thinking or hearing that therapy is something that like white girls did mm. black girls don't go to therapy black girls don't have these issues i grew up internalizing that thinking huh. that was true and so if i was sad if i was depressed if i was having a hard time i grew up thinking this was some it was something wrong with me i must not be a strong black woman if i feel like i need help on an issue or if i even talk about needing help on on that issue yeah, and there's evidence, new evidence that just came out saying that the world would agree with that really unhealthy double standard that we hold little black girls to even. Starting as early as age five, this new research that just came out found that people like teachers and doctors and adults are more likely to see little black girls as more mature, more able to handle stuff, less in need of maybe benevolent sort of support, right? Less in need of care. And that I found extraordinarily problematic and troubling. According to this study, which came out from the Georgetown School of Law's Center on Poverty and Inequality, they found that black girls may face unconscious bias while still in kindergarten. Black girls are perceived as less innocent than white girls at five years old. So it's not exactly related to therapy, but I wonder if that same bias of seeing little black girls as less innocent in need of our help or support or more mature and able to handle it translates over to that suck it up culture. Like, deal with it. Get your stuff together. Lock it up. You yeah. shouldn't need support. I mean, that's been my enti- that was my entire experience growing up. I grew up feeling that inside, feeling that if I, you know, expressed that I needed help or that I was struggling or having a hard time, Mm. that that wasn't okay. And that it was clear to me that that was okay for other types of girls. And it wasn't okay for me. Like that was the message that I carried inside on a lot of levels, not just in terms of getting therapy and getting mental help, getting mental health help and things like that. But in a lot of ways, I think I internalized the message that society is set up to protect white womanhood. And I am not, I am not part of the, you know, 
I'm not part of that. Like, I am not deserving of that same level of protection. Society is not set up to ensure that I am protected and mm. supported in the way that I think it's easy to look at our society and see how, you know, how it's not set up for black women. Right. And I think that we have to we're going to cover that in an episode or something related to that on intersectionality. I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important that women who live at the intersection of race and gender discrimination don't get erased from the equation. And right. clearly this is happening uh, already. I I also have heard from many of the women of color, and specifically black women that I've worked with through my work at Bossed Up, this mantra of you have to be twice as good to go half as far. And there's some underlying truth to that because – Life is not fair. The world is not fair. But when I hear a mantra like that told to me over and over again, like, congratulations, you're a tough black woman. You've got to be twice as good to compete with a white dude for the same job. And when I hear that, I I can imagine how that kind of a message could be internalized in a way to think, you know, I need to suck it up. I need to, like, just deal with it. I need to be to work twice as hard to get half as far. And that, I don't know, I I think that can lead to really dangerous uh, scenarios and a lack of seeking help when you need to, because it's seen as a failure. Yeah. I mean, I just, we just did an interview in Glamour magazine, um, basically all about this. Um, I probably the hardest time I ever had in my life was when I was working for a a major news company, a a 24 hour cable news company. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt I had internalized this idea that, um, you know, I am the representative of my race and gender. And we did an episode around this in, in Work Fails where you can often feel if you mess up as a woman, then your boss is going to say, oh, all women mess up in this way. And that you really become representative of of the group that you represent or of the group that you're a part of. And so when I was working there, I felt if I raised the alarm about anything. It could be things that were, some of the things that I went through there were legitimately unfair labor practices. And rather than, you know, speaking up about it, I just thought, oh, if I make noise about this, I'm going to get pegged as, you know, the complaining black woman. And I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it harder for another black woman who comes behind me to, to be in the same place. And I had this really intense weight on my, I felt like I had a really intense weight on my shoulders that I had to be perfect and in all the ways. And if I wasn't, then I was messing it up for someone else or there would be less, I would be the last black woman in that office. Mm -hmm. Right. And I couldn't handle that. It was almost like you were a martyr for your group, your minority group of which you're representing, which really becomes exaggerated for women in male-dominated or white-dominated fields, which, um, is it safe to assume that's what you're experiencing? Absolutely safe. (laughs) So you've got to read this Glamour piece by Jessica Militaire, who interviewed both of us about burnout for Glamour, and their, their Glamour online piece, I should say. And in it, you'll see just how dramatic burnout is for women, especially when you layer on race, um, and class, uh, in addition to identity. Not identity, but to, uh, in addition to gender identity. So what happened at that cable news outlet? Do you want to tease a little bit about the story um, you told in that piece? Yeah, it is the, it's one of the saddest. It would mean, actually, no, it wasn't sad. It no. was a wake up call in, was, a, in a yeah. kind of way. So it kind of was sad at the time, but helpful in another way. Um, I, on my, the day before my 30th birthday, I collapsed in an elevator. Um, I had had a cold. I had been up late the night before. It was a really busy um, news cycle. A lot was going on. Um, I was going to get coffee, and 
next I woke up, next thing I know, I was in the in the infirmary. And the nurses there were, you know, they said, oh, you're dehydrated. You are exhausted. You need to take care of yourself. And this is the saddest thing. Whenever I tell this story, people are like, wow, that is bleak. Um, <laughs> they, The nurse was, she said, is there someone we can call? Someone we can call to come get you, take you home? And I thought about it and I said, literally everyone I know in New York City is in this building. I don't know a single person who is not in this office right now. There was, uh, there was no one to call. Was, you know, no one. No, I, I've worked so hard that I have made zero friends that are not in this office. Right. Wow. And it was a wake up call. Yeah. I, I, I really became clear to me that I had to make some life changes. And it became clear to me that for probably for a mix of the reasons we were just talking about, that I am someone who internalizes the need to do it all and the need to do it perfectly and the need to be twice as good and that I will put I will take that to a really unhealthy right. and dangerous place. Yeah. If allowed. I mean you are in such good company, unfortunately, because this is what I've made my life's work about really is burnout. And people we could talk about burnout for a whole other episode. Oh wait, we did with Chris <laughs> I did with Kristen and Caroline last year, so go check it out. The episode's called Bossed Up. And as it turns out, burnout is not just Oh, I'm so tired. It's a clinically diagnosable mental health disorder. So that totally falls within the confines of what we're talking about here. And I'm so glad that things have changed significantly due to your hard work and assertiveness and willingness to set healthy boundaries. But I think honestly that so many women I talk to, especially women of color, have had shockingly similar experiences on that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I was talking to a friend earlier and I mentioned, um, I think we were talking about me trying to get something done on a project. And I said, gee, you know, I'm not a very assertive person. And I really sort of never have been. And he was, he said, of course you're not. I don't feel like black women are allowed to be assertive people if that's who they are. So when you need to speak up about something, it's possible that black women just don't really get that space. And I have completely internalized that. I think Mm. I, part of me wonder, this is a whole other, that's like a therapy session. (laughs) I hope, I hope Shelly's listening. Where is Daphne (laughs) taking calls? Well, you really knew Dr. You, Fraser is here. You really knew your uh, Fraser side character. I really, I like grew up watching Fraser, which is the whitest thing I've ever said out loud. <laughs> I was like a ten-year-old watching Fraser. Did you get the jokes? No. Okay, but I somehow stayed glued to them. I don't know. I guess my parents must have. That must have. I think you know what? It came on right before The Simpsons. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what's really happening. Here. We were a Simpsons family. Oh, amen. We should do an episode on Lisa Simpson. Definitely. <gasps> Yes, we should. Stay tuned. Writing it down right now. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh. Fraser. No. <laughs> They're all like, get to the point, ladies. Stop talking about Fraser. <laughs> um, and probably women are young enough listening who are like, who's Fraser? <laughs> Google it. Oh, that makes me sad. I feel old. We are old in that regard. Okay. Um, so wait, I wanted to add one thing to this, which is, Back when we were, I don't know when this came out previously. God, we've recorded a lot of episodes, y'all. I think we were talking about this on work fails or when I've at some point mentioned burnout. I recently learned that a ton of the stress research that has ever been done empirically is done on almost all male. Oh, you know what? It was our first episode on the psychological benefits of female friendship. Mm. There's a ton of stress research out there, but most of the stress studies that have been done in the university setting have either been done with men and women in equal numbers or just all men. Wow. And similarly, 
black women are not specifically studied as a group. So when we talk about minority mental health, when we talk about black women in particular that that are sort of erased because of a lack of intersectionality in the research world, um, this is a real problem when it comes to empirical studies. Uh, Josephine Breedveld has said, little is known about black women and mental health as these individuals have been largely absent from research. And she is the research manager at the Mental Health Foundation. Foundation. She goes on to say, the majority of research has looked at ethnic minorities as a whole, which is like, come on, people. Like every ethnic, it's like saying every La- Spanish speaking country is right. so the same and all it's... Latin people are like, excuse me, no. <sighs> um, so they've been looked at as a whole rather than providing a focus on the challenges faced by black women. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's, it's upsetting, but it's not necessarily shocking because that's so true of even um, physical medical research where, you know, we don't study the, you know, bodies of women specifically, and even with women that, or we're, we're more likely to study just groups of men and then give women medical yeah. advice that's geared toward men and not specifically women. And that's a problem with things like heart disease, where mm-hmm. women's bodies operate differently and should be studied, you know, in their own way. And we, so in a kind of way, it's not surprising, but it's certainly not helping the, the situation when it comes to black women and mental health. Totally. And kind of along those lines, they've actually done studies that show that doctors are so doctors are less likely to take the symptoms of women seriously in general. But it's even worse for black women. A study out of UVA, um, University of Virginia, has proven that there's a racial bias in how medical providers assess black patients as complaints of pain, guaranteeing that medical providers consistently undertreat black patients and ignore their symptoms. Wow. Um, yeah. And so this study is about physical symptoms, but I can only imagine how that also translate to, totally. translates to mental or emotional issues that folks are reporting. Totally. No wonder women are less likely to tell their doctors. If they compl- like if doctors aren't taking them seriously or they're not they're getting gaslighted. Yeah. Um gaslit? Yeah, I don't know the <laughs> hmm, what is the, <laughs> the past, past tense or that? Side side note. Um I'm sure we'll hear about it on Twitter. Let us know, y'all. Um like, no wonder if if women are not getting that space, as you said earlier, I think that's a really great way to say it. Or not, black women in particular, if they're not given that opportunity to be taken seriously when doing a very brave thing, like asking for mental health support, then no wonder there's this philosophy or this mentality that as a black woman, you have to do it all. You have to be everything to everyone. According to this recent article in Ebony Magazine titled Depression and the Black Superwoman Syndrome by Josie Pickens, she writes that, quote, masking up as superwoman is killing us, whether we meet that death as a result of suicide or the stresses that lead to heart disease and other serious life-threatening illnesses. She goes on to say that, uh, and to really point out a really great example here, which is that black women between the ages of 45 and 55 are, quote, biologically 7.5 years older than white women of the same age. Wow. So there's this weird dichotomy between doctors not taking black women's issues as seriously, women in that demographic then being less likely to report it or get help or ask for the support that they need, because why bother? Right. Because they're getting met with this resistance. And then this this other philosophy, which I hear on reality TV often, you know, black don't crack. Yeah. So, like, 
we look younger. It's so true. I don't need Botox like white ladies do. Which Botox is a white lady thing. We should do an episode. On oh my that. god, I had not even that had not even occurred to me that that will be related. But it's true. First of all, my mom is <laughs> she looks like a teenager. Right. You look at my mom and think, oh, what are you thirty? And she's in her sixties. Right. It's true. Like black bodies, it's it's so toxic because I feel like because we look younger we, we present differently, we present differently. Sometimes, yeah some things could be going on internally but it's harder to take it seriously yes. if you don't if the inside doesn't match the outside in a kind of way exactly. I, I phrase that weird but you know what i mean totally know what you mean fist bump yes and and to even hear from um from this sort of quote comes from a lottie joiner uh post on the root.com that medically speaking black women's bodies are older Mm -hmm. in some ways than white women's bodies on average, I'm assuming it's got to be on average, uh, then there are hidden symptoms that we're missing. And so it's just, it sounds like a total erasure of a space or a representation of black women seeking mental health support and getting it. And that's honestly why it was so important to me just personally to do this episode. But also I think that word you use erasure is exactly it. You know, I, so the fact that black folks are, dealing with more mental health issues than their white counterparts. Clearly, it's an issue for us, yet we are completely erased in the conversation. I did not... I mean, I remember reading an article. This was probably 15 years ago. I was in high school, so this was really going back. But it was in Bitch Magazine. It was my... You know how Bitch was like an early... Can we Can we say that? It's the name of a publication. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, B Word Magazine. (laughs) If I can't say it, sorry. Well, that's the thing. Well, you're 15 years old reading it, and I I was attracted to that magazine because I was like, ooh, it's a swear word. word. Cool. Um, but yeah, reading an article about how black, how mental health is dealt with in pop culture around whiteness. And so, just like we were saying before, you know, they did episodes where Carrie and Sex in the City goes to therapy, where she meets that guy and they sleep together and blah, blah, blah. Um, if you remember that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I yeah. remember Sex in the City plot lines pretty well. Um, <laughs> but in this article, they were talking about how um, another show at the time that was very similar, Girlfriends, um, which oh, was yeah. like, you know. Tracy Ellis Ross. Right. Yes. One of my favorite humans. Brown University um, alum. Yes. Yes. Love her. Yeah. Friend of the show, mm. sort of. Okay. She let's, might not know. Let's get her on the show. Tracy, call us. <laughs> call us. Um, but yeah, basically they said that. You would never have an episode where, you know, that it's dealt with in a in a loving or normalized way on shows that deal with 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 black folks, right? Like mm-hmm. that was not a thing that was happening. And I grew up watching women like Carrie Bradshaw or you know other other white characters mm. talk to therapists. I remember reading or watching the movie Harriet the Spy, and she goes to a chi- a child psychologist. That's right. And I remember just thinking how how odd, like like. You would never see, and you're the daughter of a medical. I'm a daughter of a, of a yeah, doctor. doctor. Yeah, and, e- and even then, that was completely sort of foreign to me. And so, I think that the fact that Black folks and Black women in particular are kind of erased from how we think about um, therapy and mental health issues in America, when we are the ones who are dealing with it in a, in a deeper way, is is baffling to it's me. It's a seriously tragic irony, is what it is. But I, I also am optimistic by. I am optimized by, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm encouraged. That's the word. I'm encouraged by pop culture's change on that front. Definitely. Should we take a break before we dive into that? Yeah, let's take a break. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about how things are changing on that front for the better. But we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back. 
And the good news is that, especially in the relatively recent oh, yes. history, pop culture, especially black people in pop culture, in the media landscape, whether they're musical artists or behind, you know, television shows, are really starting to take seriously um, how to address these issues in the public light, whether it's in a fictional character, like through a fictional character's plotline or in a public way, in a really brave way. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been really thrilled to see um, the way that artists have been taking the lead and, and having these conversations in black communities. Um, if anyone watched one of my favorite shows on HBO, Insecure, um, Issa Rae, she's amazing. Um, but one of the characters, oh, spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen oh, it. Oh, yeah. Also, pick up her book. Oh, it's so good. I it's love so good. Her book. What is the title? I Awkward have Black it. Black Girl. Awkward it's so good. Girl. That's yeah. the story of my life. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was thinking of you a little bit. It's like, it is. <laughs> when I was reading it. it. Is, Story of my life to a, it's actually, it's like, it's as if Issa Rae was watching me growing up and wrote a book about it, honestly. I love it. Um, but yeah, on one of the plot lines of um, the show Insecure, and again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, is that her best friend, Molly, is going through a lot of issues with dating and with um, work and having all these kind of, she's really struggling. And she walks out on the street one day and she bumps into um, a friend from college who used to be sort of um, what you might think of as like ratchet. Um, and she's like, oh, my God, you look so good. Last time I saw you, you were like dancing on a bar doing shots. And her friend very earnestly says, yeah, I was a mess back then, but now I'm in therapy and things are going great. And I've, I'm so happy. And it, Molly kind of realizes at first Molly thinks therapy, you know, has that same reaction that I would have yeah. had before I got into therapy, which is therapy, you know, what are you, quote, crazy? Mm. And then while talking to her friend, she realizes this might be something that I could benefit from. So having uh, showing a character go through that trajectory of having a problem and then realizing that therapy is an option and then weighing it, like weighing that as an option for her, I thought was was huge, was transformative. So powerful. Yeah. And when I, I, I can almost relate to that in my own experience because I don't know if anyone else listening has ever gone through this, but I actually started to talk to mental health professionals in order to get my boyfriend the support he needed or to pursue therapy for my family member who needed it. You know, I initially went to, you know, be an agent of connection for other people's therapy and ended up in therapy myself that way. And I had not thought of myself as being someone who would benefit from it. And that was so incorrect. And my life completely transformed when I actually did seek out support for my own self. So right. I think women are very good, kind of like negotiation, are very good at negotiating on behalf of others. Right. Um, and it's harder sometimes for us to feel safe and uh, be well received when receiving when pursuing support for ourselves. Totally. It's so, so important to see that as an option. And yeah, and to, and to see it as an option not just for friends or for family that you're trying to get support for, but for yourself, should you need it. Yeah. Um, I also, just if you got Jay-Z's newest album, which is great, you should definitely listen to it. It's amazing. But um, 444, he actually, so not only is that album all about um, being cr critical and looking at your own behavior and your own actions and your own intentions and, and thinking about it in a, in a, with a lens of being aware, self-aware, which is kind of a new thing, I think, in, in hip-hop, especially for Jay-Z. Um, but he actually explicitly mentions seeing a therapist. And so um, on his one song, he writes, Mama had four kids, but she's a lesbian. Had to pretend so long that she's a thespian. Had to hide in the closet so she medicates. Society shames the pain. It was too much to take. My therapist said I relapsed. I said, perhaps I Freudian slipped into European whips. Um, and so there's so much going on in that. Goosebumps. One, Holy his mom. mom comes out as gay, right. which is... 
huge. Um, and then two, he explicitly talks about seeing a therapist. And for me, I mean, when I heard that line, I thought, yes, Jay-Z, thank you. Get, like getting a, getting a therapist if you need one should be cool. Talking about your issues yeah. and being self-critical and looking at your behavior with an eye toward intentionality, we should make that cool. Like that should be a thing that we yes. make, that we talk about and make normal. I completely agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, and that's again why why I was so sad to see um, Kid Cudi. I think last year um, wrote a very open, uh, open and like moving post about getting help for mental health issues and addiction issues and, and checking himself into a a, a, a center. Uh-huh. And I was and I thought that was great. After that happened, um, the hashtag "You Good Man" sparked a conversation on Twitter around black men and mental health, wow. um, which I thought was great. But then I was so sad to see. Drake, another rapper who I I like, dissed him for it. He he added a di- like a line to a song making fun of Kid Cudi for that. And I thought that was I mean, I think what we're seeing is is important and transformative and it makes me sad that Ugh. folks would try to right. crap on that. He said you you stayed Xanaxed up and and perked up in his album like dissing Kid Cudi, which I get it. Rap like hip hop can sometimes be you know, not antagonistic, but they can pit people yeah. against one another. But come on, man, that was low. And that's, yeah, and he, he he when people called him out for it, he was like, "I'm not apologizing." He didn't walk it back at yeah. all. I, I'm sorry, I don't really like Drake that much. Well, that actually did make me. Um, I've never really liked Drake that much. Yeah, that made me not like him too. I like him, but I didn't. I liked him less after that. Although I do think his uh, proud Judaism is very interesting. Oh yeah, in a cool way, like. Yeah. Minority, like black Jews. Like, we could do an episode on being a Puerto Rican Jew. You know right. what I mean? I think there's a whole thing there. When I was but... growing up, I didn't know there were black Jews. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think that's, I think that element of visibility for yeah. Drake, Drake is a good so, thing. So, wait, do you like him or do you not, do you not like him? I can't him? decide. Yeah, you y'all. love hate. I get it. I, I want to like him, but I don't. I don't yeah. like his music that much. I feel you. Um, and yeah, I think when you look at these artists, I think of it as, I mean, m- mental health issues in black communities, to me, is it's, We've seen it be so entwined with things like policing, and that I think the same way that oh. black artists can no longer afford to stay silent when it comes to things yes. like Black Lives Matter and police shootings, I see that as a similar thing. And we actually know from the research that uh, black mental health and policing are linked. Totally. They've actually done research around the fact that um, black Americans can experience a form of post-traumatic stress disorder from seeing, you know, police shootings all day long on a loop. I have certainly felt that. And so I think it's one of those things where artists can lead the way in sort, mm. of, in sort of having those conversations. And we know that so often um, police can get called to handle um, what are actually mental health crises. Exactly. And they're crises? Crises. How do, you, how do you pluralize crisis? I don't, you it. get it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there have actually been some really um, recent cases of black women who dial 911 who are having <sighs> mental health issues yeah. and then they they They're having like a psychotic episode right and then yeah. when the cops get there they are shot and killed yeah. and which is I, disgusting and deplorable and completely maddening and infuriating yeah. okay. um i don't know where to go after this well it's deplorable i get it i mean i think i think that's that's like a legitimate statement i don't know where to go after that yeah. either i think here's the important thing is that we are seeing raised awareness around this. We are not seeing political movement around this as yeah. much as there needs to be. So shout out for those who are supporting uh, mental health reform 
because that needs to happen in this country, obviously. Um, also, the fact that this is hashtag minority mental awareness month is a great first step. Yeah. Um, and, you know, black women in particular are raising more awareness around mental health. There's an art exhibition called Unmasked Woman, which uh, is exploring the current state of black mental health for young women in the UK, which is awesome. And there's another exhibit in New York City um, that really finds black women using art to ra- kind of raise awareness and have conversations around uh, health, black women and health in general, but mm-hmm. also mental health. Um, there was a really sad situation where a 49-year-old woman in Brooklyn died in a hospital waiting room after she'd been waiting 24 hours to see a doctor. 24 She fell out hours. of her chair and died on the floor after blood clots moved from her legs to her lungs. Um, so that's pretty terrifying and sad and awful. Um, but then eight years later, New York-based artist Simone Lee paid homage to that woman um, in her exhibition at the new at the, uh, New York City's new museum called The Waiting Room. And oh. so this really was a, a way of using art to raise awareness around black women and mental health, black women and health. health yeah. um, in addition to being like a visual art exhibition, it also part of the exhibit is um offers training and workshops around self-care, mental health issues and all of that for folks so they know what's up. Um, and so it just seemed like a really cool way yeah. of turning this tragedy that that we were just talking about of wow. like black women having their their pain and symptoms ignored and using that to bring awareness so that people know that this is an issue. Right. And I feel like half of the problem is making sure that those folks who are in a position of power and decision making, whether you're a doctor, a psychologist, a psychotherapist or a police officer, know how to read people's symptoms and not bring well, and sort of combat some of the unconscious bias that everybody brings to the table that can quickly make us assume, oh, this is a dangerous, crazy person instead of this is a person who needs my help. Right. And protect those folks and and and. Uh, and treat them fairly and appropriately. Definitely. So I think, you know, we could talk all day about like, oh, black women need to seek out more help. Yes, but when they seek out help, yeah. professionals need to be like fair and just in how they treat them. Absolutely. I don't actually think this is an issue that can be solved with, you know, if right. you're a black woman, go go see a shrink. I think this is an issue that needs systemic cultural change around how we think about, talk about, and deal with um, the mental health of, yeah. of people of color. Yeah. And and that being said, there are there are resources too available for those of you who are listening who are thinking that you might be struggling a little bit right now if you've been putting yourself last on the to do list every single day when you know that you've been meaning to reach out to a medical professional. Make today the day you do that. You know, make today the day you you make today the day you pick up the phone or you find what kind of coverage your insurance provides. I know it can be a pain in the ass, but call them up and get the support you need, whether it's, you know, seeking out a therapist or other kinds of professional help, because you are worthy of your time. You are worthy of that effort. And just as much as you would obviously do that for your best friend or your sister or your mother or your daughter, pick up the phone and make that happen for yourself right now. If this sounds like something that you've been in need of. Yeah. And so just for if if you're a black woman or a person of color out there who wants resources specifically around 
black folks and mental health, um, a couple of good resources we found. Um, one is Ourselves as Black. Their mission is to empower the black community by promoting mental health. Um, and something that I found really helpful about their site is that they actually include a state-by-state provider directory. And so if you're like me and you want to find a black therapist. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Although, shout out to my therapist. She's not black and she's great. And you so. don't need to make assumptions based on their, they're like, wait, where'd she get her de- degree from? Yeah, it's yeah. like, what does she put in her, in her chicken recipe? Yeah. You're like, how does she make potato salad? Mm. Uh, yeah, you don't want to have to get into that. Totally fine. They're there for you. Um, so it's the website is ourselvesblack.com, and then you can go online and find their provider directory. Another good one is Black Mental Health Alliance, which is black men- blackmentalhealth.com. And again, they just provide a lot of state-by-state resources of how folks can get help if you want specified help to, to go along with, you know, your identity. Awesome. I love it. Well, Thank you for all of what you brought to this episode. Yeah, this is a this is this is a topic that I mean, honestly, I it's a topic that I care a lot about mm. and I just want if one person listening feels empowered to have this conversation, even if it's with with, with a friend, even right. if it's not, you know, even if it's just saying, you know, I'm having a tough time, giving your giving like this is your permission. You have permission to to do that. Have that conversation. Yeah, I love it. Well, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. We want to hear if you have sought out support in the past. What did that feel like for you? How did how have doctors responded to your request for some support on mental health? Have you been uh, seeing a therapist? Has that made a difference in your life as it has dramatically for Bridget and I? Um, make sure you send us a tweet at MomStuffPodcast. And we are always sharing stuff and chatting along with you in the comments section on our Instagram handle at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Or shoot us an email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>